I'm supposed to be here right now, right? This is my cue. Yeah. Hi, I'm Josh Watt. Some new guy's going, dang, I thought he was a younger dude. Yeah, man. No, Josh Watt is back at his, uh, the church that launched him at Gateway, so I'm sure they're having a fun reunion. And uh, he tried to find you know, the best preacher he could, and everybody was busy, so he called me. And uh, I am so delighted to be here with you all. My name is Sandy Mason. Uh, my, I have a role with Redemption started around April. Uh, Tyler Johnson, before he went on sabbatical, if you know Tyler, he was kind of the senior pastor over the movement, lead pastor, and he said, would you come pastor the pastors? I've got all these young guys and gals that uh, could use a little care and love and attention from a seasoned saint. So I said, yeah, I'd love to do that. So I'm having a, a ball doing that. Uh, but it does make me a dangerous preacher because, you know, you ain't paying my salary. <laughs> So I can say what I want to say, and uh, you may not have me back, but oh, I'm, this is so fun. Great to be here. Two services, I know. That's a, we planted a church 18 years ago up on uh, Carefree Highway, and I remember that, Margie, remember that when we went to two services, and it's traumatic because you're like, oh, we've got to all be together, and now we're not all going to be together, but uh, it, it just serves the mission so well, and you'll actually see an increase in folks who come, and you'll give a grace to the folks who are working with kids who can't be here because they're back there caring for your kids, so now they have an option to worship and serve, so there's a lot of great things that come out of two services, but uh, it is a, it's a little bit of trauma and scariness, Anthony, that's right. Hey, let's pray together, shall we? Father, thank you for the local church. Uh, 2,000 years you've been uh, birthing churches. You said the gates of hell can't stop you from launching your church, and we're so grateful because we know if this movement was in the hands of men, we're doomed. But this is your deal. It's your spirit who builds your church, and uh, we are delighted to be part of North Mountain Redemption and what you're doing right here uh, we know that you are here. You promised that. If a few of us gather in your name, you are here in our midst. And so we ask you to speak. We ask that your word would come to life in our hearts. Uh, we believe you have a message for us that we are here by design, and we don't want to miss it. So give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you have. Uh, for the greatness of your name, we pray, Jesus. Amen. Yeah, Josh Watt, he's, he's the real deal. I love Josh. I knew Josh when I was still at Desert View, and uh, he was just getting to know pastors in the area, getting the lay of the land, and uh, we hit it off. And uh, the thing I love about him, he's just a man without guile. You know, there's, there's no pretense. Uh, Josh is Josh, and he loves Christ, and he loves you guys. He loves pastoring North Mountain. And uh, so I was thrilled that I could come step in for him. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians 2. You heard it read, but I want to kind of set us up a little bit. Uh, there's, a, there's a book that's real popular now. Maybe some of you have got it. I, I've just seen a buddy of mine had it, and I've read portions. The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse. Anybody got that or seen that? Wow. Okay. Well, you haven't been at your Hallmark store in a while because that's... Uh, <laughs> It's a little book with great illustrations, but it just has these great little sayings that are capturing the heart of people. I mean, it's, it's like a New York Times bestseller. 
the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse, and they're kind of on this journey, and they become friends, and their, their personalities get uh, wrestled with. The author is Charles McKezzie. Uh, one of the great lines that I read there, it says, everyone is just trying to get home. Everyone's just trying to get home. And it made me think of uh, another quote. Maybe you've heard this from the old French philosopher Blaise Pascal. Here's his famous quote. Maybe some of you heard this one. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man and woman which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus Christ. Kind of the same thing that uh, that little book is saying. Everybody's trying to get home. Uh, in fact, I've seen churches, and that'll be their byline on their banner. Some will say, welcome home. And they're tapping into that sense that all of us, that human beings, know we've been disconnected from home. And that's the story of the Scriptures, that we were created in this wonderful environment to have a relationship with God, connection with God, and through what we call the fall, Genesis 3, the the disobedience of that first couple to God, sin rushed in. And it bent man away from God and bent him in toward himself. And now we all are trying to get that connection back. Get it back. Get home. Feel that God-shaped vacuum. I I remember I had that vacuum. I remember in college at ASU. uh, Hey, how about those sun devils this weekend? Okay. uh, All right. But I remember I, I joined a fraternity. I was in student government. I was one of these things called a devil's advocate where you went around to high schools and told them why they ought to go to ASU. That's ironic, isn't it? Uh, and, uh, and president of the fraternity, and I mean, I'm just doing all this stuff, and I look back and recognize I was trying to fill that void. I was trying to find home. I was trying to get that God-shaped vacuum filled with accomplishment, popularity, achievement, and none of it was doing it. And I, the day that Jesus found me uh, in that frat room and came into my dorm th- and witnessed to me through another fraternity brother, I knew this is who I've been looking for all my life. And maybe, maybe this morning for someone here, maybe today will be that day for you. Maybe today will be the day that you uh, realize Jesus is who I've been looking for all my life. We're going to talk about salvation. We're in this series, uh, countercultural issues, and you've talked about the heavy ones, sex and gender and, and that kind of thing. Salvation, what's countercultural about salvation? Well, you're going to see in Ephesians 2 that we're going to look at the, the truth of Scripture is a little different than the view out there in the culture about how people are saved or do we even need to be saved. Uh, but there's three really important things I want you to, to get in your head, and we'll expand on those as we walk through this passage. The first one is this. We are not primarily talking about a doctrine. We're not talking about the doctrine of salvation. We're talking about a person. 
We're talking about Jesus Christ and a relationship with Jesus Christ where you follow him and walk with him. And sadly, there's been, uh, over time, you can imagine, we have 2,000 years to mess with this stuff, so uh, we've, we've turned salvation into something that you ascribe to some information. If you say, yeah, I think that's true, then they tell you you're in. Or maybe they add a few ceremonies or religious uh, things you're supposed to do, and then you're in. But it's always been about Jesus. So when we talk about salvation, it's about the person of Christ, not just a, a cold doctrine that you study in seminary. The second thing is that salvation is not the end goal. Sometimes you can get the idea that us preachers, we're just trying to get you to raise your hand or come forward and, and receive Christ, and man, that's good. How many got saved today? And it kind of communicates like, Phew, you're home free, you're in, and uh, now you know, just come to church and put a little money in the plate, and you're good. And, and there's no life in that. There's no joy, there's no power in that. And that's why you probably know lots of people who prayed the prayer that thought, when I pray this prayer, I ask Jesus into my life, and that's it. And now when I die, I go to heaven. Is that all there is? And it's not working for them. And they, they give up on church and Christ because uh, they got a false start, a false introduction. So we're saying we're not talking about a doctrine, we're talking about a person, Christ, the, it's not the end, it's the beginning. The beginning when you begin to follow Christ. And thirdly, it's not just pie in the sky. And there is great pie in the sky. You ever think about heaven? You know, we're just going to eat. And there's no calorie count. Amen. There's no commercial about Weight Watchers and any of that baloney. It's just, come on, let's feast. So there's going to be great pie in the sky, but it's not. It's about life right now. The, the fundamental term for salvation in the New Testament is the word life. Jesus, John 10.10, 10, I have come to give you what? Life, and life to its fullest. I didn't come to just make converts. And that's, that's where we, we've kind of lost the, the power of salvation, that it's about just getting converts, just getting people to pray a prayer and now they're in. No, it's inviting people into the life of following the living Christ who is alive and is right here in this place in 7th Street, this church right now. Astounding. Yeah, applause. All right. Come on. Take some amens, whatever you want to give this preacher boy, I'll take it. <laughs> All right, let's look at Ephesians 2.10, and that's so great. There's Bibles under your seat if you need it, or get your phone out, whatever you do. Just don't check Facebook, all right? Stay with the Scriptures here. I want you to put your seatbelt on because this stuff is, uh, this is radical stuff. Ephesians 2. Uh, chapter 1 of Ephesians, just to give you a little context this this book is a jewel. This book is a jewel. I mean, they will say that Romans is, you know, the theological masterpiece of Paul, no question. But Ephesians, if, if Romans is the king, Ephesians is the queen. Ephesians is so rich, so beautiful, so deep, 
Six chapters. The first three are all about what God has done for you. And the last three are how you live in response to what he's done. And that's always biblical Christianity. Romans, the first 11 chapters are all about what God has done for you in grace. And then the last uh, four chapters are all about how you now can respond. But don't ever get those backwards. You don't do anything to make salvation happen. And that's one of the strong doctrines of this movement, Redemption Churches, is that salvation is God's work. And man, when you're talking about the state of your soul, I don't want to have to be responsible for that. No, thank you. I can hardly, you know, keep my dog liking me and my marriage together. You want me to manage my eternal soul? Woof. Come on. So Ephesians chapter 1, deep water about the fact that before God made the world, he had a plan for you. Yeah. You are not an accident. You're not a chance uh, amoeba that of evolution says your ancestors crawled out of some watery slime. You are designed by God. I mean, think of it. No one has the retina like you. They can identify you of all the billions of people by your retina, by your tone of voice, by your fingerprints. That shouldn't be if we're just mass-produced by chance. But even the way you're made just shouts from God himself, I know you. I have planned for you. You're not just a face in the crowd. You're mine. Now come home, come home, follow my son. All right, but there was a problem. There was a problem, boys and girls. Ephesians 2.1, you see, you were not very nice. Is that what it says? That would be the Hallmark Bible. You are not a very nice person. You should go to church and be religious. No, the Bible says you were dead. Dead. Everybody know what dead means? I'll give you the Greek definition. It means something without life. Dead. Dead. You were dead. Not, oh, you needed a little help, or you were a little misguided. Kind of how moms always talk about their kids. No offense, moms. But, you know, I was a youth pastor, and I'd have to call moms about their kids. And, you know, dear moms, you know, oh, he's a good boy, you know. No, I'm, without Jesus, he's dead, mom. In fact, mom, without Jesus, you're dead. We're dead. We have no life. We are disconnected from the source of life. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. Those things where we've, any better ever walked on the grass when the sign said don't walk on the grass? Come on, it's church, confess that. Anybody drive over the speed limit? I mean, we, we trespass all the time, all the time. Anybody ever tell a little lie, medium lie, big lie? We, we trespass, we sin. It is how we live. It's what you walked in, verse 2, according to the world. It's easy. It's the way the world does life. You know, it's like when, you, when you're doing something with somebody and uh, they're making a deal and you're kind of like, what? And they go, hey, it's just business. You know, look out, you're getting, you're getting ripped off right now. When they say to you, it's just business, that means uh, we can do stuff now. 
that I wouldn't do as a friend, but it's just business. So it's the way of the world, walking according to the prince of the power of the air. I warned you, uh, yes, the Bible says there is a malevolent spirit, a gifted, powerful being whose design, whose joy in his miserable, dark life is to make you fail, give up, ultimately destroy you so that he might mock our creator. That's what he's about. And he's real. And the Bible says he has been given, don't worry, he's been given authority. He's a mad dog. God's got the chain. He's not running loose. You don't need to fear, but you need to know he's out there. You look at the life of Christ, I mean, he shows up all the time. When he's fasting and praying before his ministry, Jesus, I understand you you want a kingdom and you want people to follow you. You know, I've heard about this cross thing. You don't have to do that. Jesus, just bow down and I'll give you the kingdoms because I got them. I'm running the kingdoms. You want kingdoms? Just bow down. I'll give you the kingdoms. That's, That's what Ephesians is saying here. He's the prince of the power of the air that's now working in the sons of disobedience. Thought of that Netflix show, Sons of Anarchy. That's who we are. That's who you are. You are sons and daughters of disobedience without Christ. You say, I'm just going with the flow. I'm just doing what everybody does. It's what everybody does. This is how it works. Lie on your taxes, you know, look at stuff you shouldn't look at and learn how to delete it. I mean, just what everybody does, it's just, you're just going with the flow. It's the wisdom of the world manipulated by a dark spirit whose goal is to destroy you. Did you know that phone you're holding, the people that invented that phone in Silicon Valley said, I'm not letting my kids have one of these. Why? What did they know? This thing is going to destroy them. There's evidence, there's scientific research now saying to Facebook, you are so destructive to teenage girls. What, what was behind that? Who's, who's manipulating that? It's just where the world goes. That's why we, we get more and more educated and things get worse and worse. Why aren't we figuring this out? Why isn't there like that old Disneyland ride, just a great big beautiful tomorrow? Once we all get College education and a house and a car and a wife and a dog and a pension will all be nice. It's just not working. Something's wrong. And the world has no clue, so they keep trying to manipulate it with politics and uh, human solutions. They're under the spirit, the prince of the power of the air, working in the sons of disobedience. You too, Christian, you formerly lived in the lust of your flesh, and uh, you indulge with the desires of the flesh and the mind. You were by nature. I've got New American Standards, a little different, but we're getting, you're getting the gist. You were by nature children of wrath. There's one politically incorrect word, huh? Wrath. Wrath is what those old preachers in the movies did, you know, hellfire and brimstone and wrath of God. The wrath of man is awful. The wrath of man is... is destructive, horrible. The wrath of God is just, righteous, holy. And he takes no pleasure in exercising his wrath. And that's why he sent his son. But wrath is real. Wrath is the righteous anger of God toward those 
who disobey him, who rebel against him, who harm those he loves. And that's who we were without Christ. And that's why people have a sense of doom. That's why all the brilliant poets and philosophers got in touch with this darkness in their own spirit. Many of them took their own life. They saw the futility. They had this sense that, is this all there is? It's that, that disconnection from your creator, the sense that I'm, I'm under something dark and heavy. You were dead. All right. Come up for air, a little illustration here. Now that I got you really depressed, you know. <laughs> Light bulb. Okay, these are my friends in the front row, so they didn't know I'm going to do this to them, but uh, they're my friends, so you'll just go with it, right? Dom and Nick, you'll just go with me on this. All right, they, these are, look at the black hair, and then they married a guy with weird hair, Rob, I know. But, you know. Okay, so Dom, great personality, smart kid, bubbling with IQ and interest. This light bulb, I can't get, I can't get it to come on. Maybe if I just stick it in his head... Maybe if I carve it into the skull a little bit, will it come on? No, there, there's no power for it. Well, how about mom? I mean, come on, Nicole. You're vivacious. You're interested in people. Your heart's full of love. You're, this light bulb, when I put it on your head, it, nope. nothing happens. So the light bulb has everything it needs to come on. Its problem is it just has to be connected to the right source. It's got all the equipment, just like you and me. There we go. How many guys does it take to screw in a light bulb? Wow, look at that. Now there's a power in that light bulb that is not of the bulb. Such a great illustration of when Christ comes into a life. There's power, and that power is turning on light. This bulb is now lighting up this room with a power that it did not have of its own, but it was designed to take that power. And that's what Christ does. Christ comes into a life that is designed to take his power. Without Christ, that bulb will never be what it was designed to be. But with Christ, what did Jesus say? You are the light of the world. Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world. John, in chapter 1, he is the light that's come into the darkness, and the darkness doesn't want any. Oh, that's the tragedy of the human condition, is they love the dark. But all is not lost. Back in Ephesians 2. Verse 4. Oh, this is so good. This is one of the great, great verses in the New Testament. I mean, Paul paints the picture. It's bad. You're dead. You're not just misguided, uh, had a bad upbringing, didn't get all the opportunities. You're dead. You're under the wrath of God, the righteous judgment of God. You are just going with the flow and... You're going to get to the end of that road, and hey-ho, nobody's home, and it's disaster. 
Proverbs says there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. That's what Paul's telling us the first three verses. Now, religion says, oh, oh, okay, well, uh, uh, we got to do something about that. Let's, let's all try to shape up. Come on, let's all, let's all try to shape up and be nicer. I got a great picture of what religion tries to do. Guys, can you throw up my picture? Yeah, huh? <laughs> let's just put some lipstick on that pig. Now, that pig's improved. That's a religious pig. Look, it got the lipstick. That's all. If we could just put a little lipstick on you and clean you up, then all these things in the first three verses wouldn't be true. No, you're, he's still a pig. A weird looking pig. He's still a pig. Take that down. People are going to have nightmares about that pig. <laughs> but that's, that's what man does in religion is he knows something's wrong and so he thinks i'll clean my act up i'll do some religious things i'll obey some rules and so then that will appease god and get me to where i want to be no you're dead you are without hope there's no way that light bulb can generate any light by itself there's just no way the power has to come from outside it and that's what we're reading now in verse four but god with all as dark as it was for you and me, but God, oh, don't miss this, being rich in mercy. Not a little bit of mercy. He's God. He's holy. He created the universe. He's running everything. He's a serious dude. No, he is a God with all those things being true who is rich in mercy. More mercy than you will ever need, than you could ever tap out. Rich in mercy. Because of his great love with which he loved you. You. Mercy said, I can't leave them like that. Love said, I'll do whatever I've got to do to deliver them from that horrible estate. I hope that's your view of God. Some people, you know, life is hard. And life can skew our view of God in a sad way. And we begin to think, well, God's against me. God doesn't like me. God doesn't care. Why would these hard things happen? So human. I do it. What did I do wrong? Why did this happen? Why did did the car get a flat on the freeway? I could die. Why? Can't you keep my tires rolling until I get where I'm going? You know, and much worse, cancer, divorce, loss of a loved one. God wants you to remember, I am rich in mercy. You're not home yet. And I'm going to work everything for my glory and your good. Because I love you with a great love. That's who God is. The old Apostle John, you know, he was the, maybe one of the youngest disciples, started following John. When he writes his gospel, he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, remember? He was one of the few not to be martyred, and, but they exiled him on an island prison, Patmos, out in the Aegean Sea. And he wrote uh, those last epistles, and that's where he received that revelation, the last book. But uh, his epistle, 1 John, he just wants the Christians that he's ministering to to understand 
God is love. With all that I know, all the revelation I've received from Jesus himself and from the Spirit of God, here's what I want you to know. If there's one thing I can say about God, it's that God is love. Don't lose that. You're going to have to hang on to that in those hard times. God is love, and he loves you. It's not just a, oh, I just love mankind. Yeah, I love mankind. It's people in my church I couldn't stand. But God loves you. He loves you. He loves Rob. He loves Carlos. He loves Dave. He loves you, individuals. So that even, verse 5, you with me? When we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. When we were dead, notice the passive tense of the verb. He made you alive. You didn't help him. You didn't join in. You couldn't, the light bulb can't make itself come on. Someone has to come release the power into the bulb. You can't make yourself alive, but God can because he's in the business of raising the dead. That's why we're here. If Jesus is in the tomb, this is just a, a fellowship of nice people trying to be nicer. What a bore. But if Jesus is alive, now this whole book has been validated. And it's true. And as he was raised... So now we will be raised. Look what it says. Verse 5 is, you, you were dead in your transgressions. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Grace means it's a gift. You didn't buy it. You didn't pay anything for it. That's what a gift is. Christmas morning when Dom and Nick opened the gifts, after the gifts, do you pull out your wallet, guys, and say, here, Mom, thanks for the gifts? No. That would be an offense. It's a gift. That's what Paul is saying. This is a gift that has saved you, and he's raised you up with Jesus. You are seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That means you are so home free. You are not going to lose that standing. People aren't moving. Oh, he's in heaven. Oh, he's not. Oh, he's saved. Oh, he's not. You are seated. Seated means you are there. It's done. You are seated with Christ. So you're home free. What if you really believe that? What if you really live like that? You are home free. Your sin can't keep you from that. He might discipline you. He might say, okay, daughter, time to come home. He's done that. But you are his. You are seated with Christ. That is ridiculous. That's why Christianity, it's so fantastic, it must be true. Religion would never say that. Religion would say, oh, no, you, well, you're not seated. You know, it's, you could still blow it. <laughs> you know, you, you, you could still lose this whole thing, so you better just watch your P's and Q's and walk the narrow rope or whatever they tell you to do. You are raised. This is what he did with Christ. What he did with Christ, he's going to do with you. I have no idea why. There's something about the love of God that he loves sinners. And he has given us this ridiculous inheritance. So that as he raised his son, verse 6, and seated his son in the heavenly places, so we will be. Why, God? So that in the ages to come I might show the surpassing riches of my grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Why does God do this? Because he wants all the universe 
angels, demons, men, women. He wants everyone to see his heart of mercy and love. That's the kind of God we have. That's what he wants to show off. He could show off his power. He could show off his genius. But he wants to show off his love. And you and I are instruments of his great love to the to the angels they don't get it they scratch their heads and goes what's he doing he loves them he's going to show mercy to her verse 8 for by grace you've been saved through faith it's not of yourselves it's a gift of god I, i think he's making a point keeps repeating this not a result of work so that nobody would boast. See, that's, religion makes self-righteous people. Religion makes people start to take credit for how they're doing. Biblical Christianity says, without Christ, I'm dead. I'm dead. And I'm ugly without Christ. He even improves my looks. I smile more with Christ. As a result of works, No. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you would walk in them. He so knows you. You are his design. You are his child. He knew you before he made the world. And part of his plan was to bring you, to make you alive, to bring life into your little dark dead soul, and then say, I want you to shine. And I have designed where I want you to shine. In this family, At this job, in this neighborhood, I want you to shine. Go shine. That's your job. That's what he's seen in in 10. You're his workmanship. That's that's the picture of someone who is like an architect, Jack, designing a building, like an artist bringing all the materials together. It's not just like, oh, he got saved? Great. Okay, put him on the list. No. The angels say, Lord, that one you've been having us pursue, He turned to the sun today. All right, now here's what I've planned for him. Here's what I've got for her. You're his workmanship. Your whole life is under his superintendent, his sovereign care, his plan and purpose. Why would you not want that? That ought to be your prayer every day. Lord, Ephesians 2.10, help me walk in him because I'm not real smart and I'll go the wrong way. Anybody here get lost easy? Yeah, you know, so you've got to say, God... Lead me. What a gift. What a gift. All this, you are His by design so that He could show you off to the cosmos that the angels and the souls of men and women would shake their head and go, what kind of love is that? What God would do that? The Greeks did not have a God like that. The Romans did not have a God like that. By the way, did anybody pass Caesar's temple on the way to church today? I guess that didn't make it, that Caesar religion. Maybe in Vegas, I guess that's the closest. (laughs) But here we are, 2,000 years later, little North Mountain Redemption gathering in the name of the risen one because he just won't stop. He just won't stop. And... And he wants to make his grace and kindness known through you. Now, in the life he gives you now and in the life to come. That's why it's important to know how bad off you were. 
heard a, a great story. We'll, we'll close with this. Uh, let's imagine that you, uh, you're older and you have a teenage son. Well, he's, he's 20. And his best friend growing up from high school, his best friend, he got married and has a couple little kids. Your son's still single. And they discovered that your son's best friend has a rare blood disease. And there's no hope for him unless he was to get a transfusion from the right kind of blood that was actually an antidote to what his blood was doing to his body. And wouldn't you know, testing your son's blood, they found out his blood is the antidote. But the only problem is they have to take all your son's blood to save his friend. And your son says, Mom, Dad, I love my friend. He's got a wife. He's got kids. I know where I'm going. I'm going to give him my blood. And so you go to the hospital, and there's the two young men on the beds, and the cables connected, and you watch his bad blood flow out into a vial, and, and you watch your son's fresh blood come into him. And the young man who was sick and pale from this disease, suddenly his cheeks are brightening, and you're watching the life slowly ebb out of your son. what he wanted to do. About three months later, you're at a restaurant and you notice that your son's friend for whom he gave his life is at the restaurant talking to someone. He doesn't see you. And so you think, well, maybe, maybe he'll say something about what my son did for him. And so you eavesdrop. They don't know you're there, but you can hear their conversation. And, and the person that this young man's having lunch with says, now, Weren't you really sick? Didn't I hear that you almost died? And the boy says, yeah, but uh, you know, I come from strong stock. You know, and I ate right, I exercised, and I licked that thing. What does that do to your heart? What do we do when uh, we tell people, uh, yeah, Jesus died for me, but I'm really trying to, you know, I'm trying to be a good Christian, do the right things. Where's your trust? Where's your hope? Who gets the glory in your walk, dear one? Do you get the glory? Does Christ who gave his blood for you, does he get all the glory? Let's pray together. Father, I wonder if there's uh, someone here today who you are speaking to and they, uh, they sense that they don't know you and they want to. They want to know that power, that life that only you can give. Would you hear their, their prayer? Would you hear their prayer? and Save them and fill them with your spirit even this morning here at North Mountain Redemption. You're here, Jesus. Do your work. 
because we're dead without you. Thank you, Lord. Amen.